0: and gamers together now have the sheer magnitude to be a significant unifying force for the world if i'm to choose between a greater and lesser evil i'd rather not choose at all you are almost a jibble sandwich
1: did i ever tell you the definition of insanity check this out
0: Hello, 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 and welcome everybody to the 341st episode of the Hungry Gamers Podcast. I'm your extremely host, Brendan Whites. You can find me just about everywhere at Brendan 8-Bits. And joining me on this special THG residency series is a walking five-star classic who can often be found creating content through podcasts, streams, and everything else in between, covering things like gaming, wrestling, music, and film. You can find his work at Radio Watson underscore on Twitter or X if you're one of those sickos that want to call it that. And also find him on there at BuddyWatson12. Buddy Watson, my dear friend, welcome to the THC studio. How the bloody hell are you? I am very good. How are you? I am ecstatic. It's been a while collectively between us here that uh, we've jumped in front of a microphone. I think we uh, did some quick math earlier and it's about seven months combined between us. Um, I'm only uh, sort of... Picking up the slack of one month, but it's been six months or so since you've uh, spat heat into a microphone. But it's good to have you back.
1: Yeah, and that kind of uh, seven month partnership, I'm more of like the Glenn Maxwell accruing the time, and you're just uh, Cummings at the other end, just like knocking it over and giving me the strike. So uh, I've uh, made up the lion's share of not recording for uh, some time. But uh, I'm glad that you included it collectively to try and kind of disguise my uh, my lack of recording for so long. But I'm I'm here. I figured out uh, what the, where the microphone goes, headphones go on your head. That's the left side. That's the right side. What the well? I didn't even have to press record. You've made it easier for me too, as well, being in the studio. That's here, it.
0: So. You're just the big show, like you said. You're just coming out, swinging that willow <laughs> and hitting sixes left, right, and center. I'm hoping you don't have any type of major cramps or or anything that uh, causes issues during the podcast here, because uh, you know that's very real out on the uh, the podcast pitch. But yeah, we are here. We are having a great old time. Just wanted to quickly shout out uh, Jono and Mr. Matt Tilby for uh, manning the microphones while I've been away on sabbatical the last few weeks. So thank you for uh, keeping those hot takes flowing thick and fast. But yeah, the boys are here and we are ready to have a bit of fun. So I guess, my good friend, we might jump into this.
1: The week that was.
0: And so, buddy, I want to talk to you about what you've been doing this past week. Tell me all of the things, what you've been playing, what you've been watching, what else you've been doing that you feel open and honest to share with the listeners out there. So, tell me all of the things, please, sir. Uh, a huge week for me, I think. Um, don't
1: generally play too many video games in a mm. year. Every now and then I get to uh, at least 10 or 12 so I can get like a top 10 list. So, it's a bit of... Uh, Tough challenge, but the ones that I do play are, are certified bangers and end up being um, fantastic. And one of those, which I had low expectations of, surprisingly, for someone who grew up as a Nintendo kid, was Super Mario Brothers Wonder, which I played in the last week and completed, hundred percented, did everything, Oof. and wow, <laughs> holy moly, what a game! Um, Super Mario World was or is my favorite uh, Mario game of all time, and probably one of my favorite games of all time just period Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: i feel like this is the spiritual successor to that i played the other 2d mario new super mario brothers u on -hmm. switch when it got ported over got bored of that like almost instantly and i think that's why i had the low expectations but yeah just um kind of blew me away out of out of nowhere everything in it's just just brilliant so um
0: what a surprise! <laughs> I'm still yet to to sort of uh, experience the greatness that is Super Mario Brothers. Wonder outside of watching clips and streams and hearing about all the uh, the very positive chatter doing the rounds on the internet. So I've got a little bit of FOMO because it looks great, and I love when Nintendo just sort of lean in and double down on just that awkward, insane weirdness. I think they need to do more of that, and it feels like Wonder they've really taken a big step forward in embracing that sort of yeah awkward weirdness that they do so well and it just looks like a good time i want to be elephant mario and make yoshi feel uncomfortable with me (laughs) on his back that's all i want to do but i'm yet to do it so uh non-spoilers what sort of some of the the high points of super mario brothers wonder that uh could get the listeners going maybe i do need to pick this up before uh before christmas for their respective games of the year lists
1: Instantly, the soundtrack. Um, some of the wonder flowers that you get in it, they you kind of get them, and they you know, kind of go into like a. It sounds weird, like a drug haze, and the levels change <laughs> change up, and weird things start happening. You can be floating around, or you become another type of shape, or it changes perspective, and you get those in the level, and it just changes everything. So that's, um, I guess, the, the innovative uh, level design part of it. But then, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the music is just is just crazy. It really gives me like Raymond Legends vibes in some of the music portions of the game um the animations are fantastic even the the new power ups are cool. i was a bit speculative with the elephant mario uh, i have like ptsd going back and playing <laughs> twilight princess and having to play the first three hours <laughs> of that game as a wolf and not really like bouncing out quite you know quite soon after that i should have probably stuck through it i know that's like a bit of a long opening but um you know when you play a Zelda game, you want to play as Link. In here, I want to play as Mario. And I'm like, oh, how much of the game is going to be Elephant Mario? Is it going to suit the levels? How's it going to fit in? Is it going to be not as much platforming with it? Um, but the power-ups is fantastic how it's used and kind of discovering the little secrets in each level. The coolest mm-hmm. part about it is there's no time limit in the levels, like your old school, you know, even like Super Mario World with your 100-second limit to finish the level. So even if I felt like I missed something by the time I got to the flag, it was like it I can just backtrack and have a look and kind of play at it at my own pace. And it felt more like discovering thing or kind of you know, promoting that uh discovering and finding all the secrets before you finish the level, instead of like oh my god i've run out of time so um and then this strand element of the game the multiplayer portion which i didn't didn't play for the first two worlds because i was um streaming the game and i thought it might be a bit uh complicated with all the um the ghosts on the screen but basically you can turn an online mode on you jump into a level there are kind of ghosts of other players that are playing the level at the same time as you um they can kind of leave you pop up little standees to kind of give you clues of where some of the purple coins are or the secrets if you die and there are people in your level you have like a five second time to kind of float back and make contact with one of the little standees or the characters and reviving yourself so it's kind of working together but in a passive way that's why i guess it reminds me so much of like death stranding and and that kind of element so um i turned that on for the rest of the game and yeah it was fantastic it got me out of a uh, a bit of a bind in a lot of the harder levels later on so yeah just everything about it just I know it sounds weird to say I'm surprised that this is a game of the year contender for me, but for me, I play so many um, indie games, and I don't play too many games in general uh, per mm-hmm. year. So I guess that's why I had the low expectations. That's why it does feel a surprise, and even not, you know, kind of, I do sound like an idiot, like, oh my god, Mario Brothers. Wonder what a surprise this was going to be one of the best games of the year. Well, it was for me. So uh, I sound like an I sound like a fool saying that, but yeah, delivers it in every way.
0: No, like, I, I think, like, if I would have played the game, I'd probably be in lockstep with what you just said exactly as far as, like, they, they'll they'll always be safe. They'll always be, you know, some of these Mario games, it can be, like, I don't want to lessen the franchise as a whole, but it's it's McDonald's. You know what you're going to get? You're never going to be disappointed. You're going to be satisfied. But it might not ever be the best meal of your life. But it sounds like you've gotten the uh, the Royale with cheese, I guess you could <laughs> say. It's it stepped itself up here a little bit with Mario Brothers Wonder. I want to play it. Really bad, but I love that um, that Strand sort of multiplayer uh, comparison you mentioned because I remember playing like New Super Mario, Mario Brothers back in the day with like my three sisters and it was freaking chaos to the point of frustration. So I like that it is sort of a, a more of a passive multiplayer element where it's more so like here's here's some tips, here's some tricks, here's some ways to prolong or or avoid death uh, and, and still... <laughs> Feel like you're doing things on your own but also getting a little bit of a hand up here and there so i like that concept i think that's really smart choice and yeah nintendo um yeah they've released two of the two of the contenders for, for game of the year this year within within uh you know nine or so months of each other so it's a testament for them and then we've got mario rpg coming out in the in like the next few days as well it's uh it's a full slate from nintendo and they're uh firing on all cylinders
1: yeah it's awesome um playing super mario brothers one i just it captured that feeling of like what it was to be a kid and play Mario growing up. And it made me like remember why I loved Nintendo growing up and why I was a Nintendo kid with the snares and 64 and stuff. So kudos, yeah, Nintendo. Um, you did it. You got me. Thanks. A yeah. uh, little nostalgia ad that you're running at the moment with Nintendo Online. That was me in there.
0: <laughs> Hook, line, and sinker. And I see you've, uh, you've gone back to a, a very familiar <laughs> well, but I know that uh, you are one of the... The deepest canvases have said well that I know within this space, not only here in Australia but abroad, <laughs> you're an advocate for, for factions. We're talking about the last of us factions. You're back in there and I've got to also highlight in the um, in the docket oh, no. when we were talking talking the, like the companies behind the games and so in parentheses you've got Naughty Dong. Instead of naughty dogs, so uh, big, we, we've got the the X rated mature version of uh, The Last of Us factions. We're going to be talking about now, uh, so, so spill it. Factions after dark, um, but I just put this on the for the
1: memes because anybody that knows me knows that I play at least twenty to thirty hours of this a week, and um, it's kind of been rejuvenated for me since Whoa. earlier on this year. I think um, maybe April, May, or a little bit a little bit after that, playing with a few uh, randoms and kind of getting added to a a, a group. Of 20 plus people um the people that i usually play also jump into that group as well and then anytime i turn my playstation on now within seconds it's like uh you have been invited to the last of us or you've been <laughs> invited to uh, a party a party chat and at any given time there is a like at least four to eight people on and um it's gone from like playing private games just rotating teams playing over and over or jumping in as uh you know uh three other people and, and playing like party matches uh in in the public space so yeah it's been awesome it's rejuvenated the game for me um there's a lot of cool people that kind of uh talk to in the party chats as well had no idea who they are now i'm playing and talking to them like every week um the funniest thing was one of those people i was talking to is kind of lives like near me like the suburb across, <laughs> and uh frequents like has frequented my workplace as well so it's kind of like i probably ran into this person a few times it's so good.
0: Sorry. It's so just, good. just so random. I, I love that you and this crew are single-handedly reviving <laughs> The Last of Us factions because, and, and I'm not sort of disrespecting the game when I say this, but apart from yourself, I don't really know anybody that still plays it today. I know a fair few people that jumped in when it when it sort of first dropped a few years ago and, and got their fix and then jumped out a few months later. I was, I was one of those people as well, but it just hasn't sort of drawn me back in because there is so much other churn out there to try and tackle from a game release perspective. But does it does it irk you at all? Or it probably doesn't because you said you're putting in 20 to 30 hours a week with, without fail on on sort of remastered factions. But does it irk you at all that Naughty Dog, sometimes known as Naughty Dong, have not released The Last of Us Part Two factions yet several years on since the game dropped? Because there is a lot of... Uh, Discourse on the internet as far as what's happening. Have they dropped it all together? They've since come out and said that they're, they're still working on it, but what does that mean? When's the release late? Nobody knows. Yes and no, but it's more of an irk because this is my most
1: anticipated release that is hopefully still coming. Um, mm-hmm. The thing that doesn't really irk me is I still have factions to play. I was worried that maybe they would release the new one eventually and then they would just shut down the servers for um, factions that we play now, but the factions that we play now is here hosted i think the servers so if someone drops okay. out like and you're the host that can drop out things so with that kind of information i'm hoping that they don't shut something down that's maybe it's a bit easier to play i don't know how the back end of video games work when it's online infrastructure but i'm hoping that's a good sign and not a bad sign that um people host the games or not but yeah it it, it is frustrating but I guess the end of the end of the day, they said there was no multiplayer for last of us two when that was announced or coming out, then they kind of backtracked uh, and said, you know, we are wanting to do a thing that will come later on. Then they've kind of doubled down that it's going to be its own thing Mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of gotten bigger than what they anticipated. So, I'm happy that it's gone that route. My biggest worry is that if this project does eventuate, it's not got the heart and soul of what makes factions great and why people play it now, and it does become this, you know, escape from Tarkov or this uh, Division Dark Zone kind of clone or hybrid thing that's uh, completely different to what we play now. So I'm hoping that they still bring that element over and you know why people love playing that mode even to this day, there's a, a vibrant community there. And we recognize so many names that come online as well. We know who the cheaters are and the not cheaters and where <laughs> they're based and stuff. So
0: Name and shame. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Fuck you, Viper, wherever you're yeah. from. Fuck you, Viper, you dirty dog. Um, but yeah, so it's it's a kind of flip of a coin, right? I'm frustrated, but I'm frustrated because it's the thing I'm looking for most, forward to most.
0: Yeah, you're sort of worried after all this anticipation and excitement for your your potentially or inevitable game of the year for whenever it does drop might not reach those expectations and they might lean more into the whole extraction shooter archetype that a lot of these uh devs are getting a bit horny for. So I hope I hope it is everything you wanted more when it does come out. Maybe 2024. Fingers <laughs> crossed. I I don't want to put any bad juju on it, but it feels like if it's not next year, it might never come out. I don't know. Like I don't know if that's pessimistic to say, but it feels like it's been in gestation for a while and I don't know what's happening at Naughty Dog, nor am I a developer. So I don't know those intricacies, but it just feels like it's in stuck in a bit of development hell. Yeah. Just, oh, I, I'm
1: speed I have no words now. I'm just, oh, just come on. <laughs> Give it to me. Oh, just, information, just show me you exist, Sil.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, not sort of burying the lead at all, but we're going to be sort of doing some hy- hypothesizing on the game awards later. Obviously that is a, a, an award show that is ripe with trailers and announcements. Maybe they shoehorn some factions in there.
1: Three or four years th- running. I've made that prediction.
0: <laughs> well, what's don't, don't stop now.
1: Don't stop now. Bring it back. I won't. When I was playing less of factions a week, I was playing factions the night before like awards and like a state of plays as like a way to kind of summon, that announcement, oh. um, but it doesn't really matter now because I play so much of it. So I, I feel like to kind of, I just play it, it's it's normal. But yeah, I used to like whip that game out. Like, all right, cool. Let's make this happen. Let's put that yeah, energy it, into the universe. Get the
0: summoning circle around the PlayStation and 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 yeah, see what you can do. Come on, Jeff Keighley, bring it <laughs> bring it to the fore in December. But um, I haven't been playing a ton because yeah, I've only just gotten back from a trip overseas Last week, but I wanted to highlight that I've just started making my way through Alan Wake 2, and I'm gonna avoid spoiling anything because this game is special, is what I will sort of lead off with. What remedy have done here and what they've done the last several years, like off the back of the success with control and the DLC and, and now this broader, broader universe that they're building out, weaving IPs together and stuff, it is very expertly done, and this game just ticks all my boxes like i am such a horror science fiction paranormal fan and and seeing like the twin peaks the the x-files and just that old throwback vibe of 90s early 2000s horror come to life in video game form it is just warming my heart but also scaring me to death (laughs) because it is so creepy and unsettling but the way they're mixing Genres and mediums together and doing all this crazy shit, but it works and I cannot get enough of it. So I cannot wait to probably go back and play more of this the second we're done recording because uh, <laughs> I am hooked. Um, have you played any Alan Wake too? Have you played any Alan Wake at all? Are you a fan of the franchise? I played no Alan Wake, but it definitely has the same type of
1: vibeside. We're almost the same age, I think. Um, so we grew up with that same kind of influence and in pop culture touchstone. So I love Twin Peaks and X-Files and everything. So um, I really didn't have Alan Wake 2 on my radar until kind of everyone has been talking about it and praising mm-hmm. it universally. So I do want to play it at some point. Do I need to have played Alan Wake 1 though?
0: Yeah, like it gives it gives you a nice hefty sort of recap and and there's plenty of things you can check out on online to get the the condensed synopses as far as the what happens in number one. You'll certainly get more of an experience going from one to two, but I don't think you'd be completely lost. Like you still will be able to jump in and understand what's happening as best you can considering the circumstance, but yeah, I'd recommend playing one if you can find the time. You might just need to sort of scale back the factions time for a week or two from thirty hours. Well, Brendan, I, I have no time. I'm, I'm just totally busy. All my
1: you know, all my time in my weeks is just allocated already.
0: Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But what about definitely control? Did, list.
1: did you play control? I did. Did I you did like control? Loved control. Okay, because I bounced out of control um, quite quite early as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, well, that kind of also has put me not put me off, but maybe trepidatious of like, are all the people that are loving this, did they love control as well? And they're just just kind of that's a, a flow on effect? Or for people that didn't like control or bounce that early, are they liking Alan Lake too? I guess that's
0: Yeah. It. I'm trying to think of anyone to ask that question to because I know a lot of people that have played control and like unless I'm just a, a naturally positive person, I can't remember anyone saying that they didn't like it. Like I know some people put it on a pedestal compared mm. to others, but I don't remember any negative feedback doing the rounds on it. There's there's no doubt some people out there, but maybe not in, in my direct orbit. But um it's so good, man. It's yeah. so good. And like I'm such a a classic horror fiend, so I just get so much like Stephen King vibes and you know, Thomas Harris vibes and all those types of uh um, fantastic writers that, that I grew up on as a kiddo. So it's just got a real nostalgic feeling for me playing this game and experiencing what they're putting out there. But Remedy, are uh, they've hit their straps. They are on the ascent, and um, I cannot wait for more time with Alan Wake 2 because it's so great. But on the flip side of that, I never want to experience another minute with this other game <laughs> that I've played. So I... Tying in that optimism that I just mentioned, I'm like, you know what, Dead Drop Dead Drop Games, a little 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 engine that could, little indie studio that make a lot of uh, homages to yesteryear, where they they sort of try and reinvent the old Resident Evil formulas of the '90s. They've released a game a couple of weeks ago called Dino Break and they call it the spiritual successor to Dino Crisis. And so anytime anyone says that, I'm like, okay, Dino Crisis is one of my favorite franchises of all time. So I'm like, I'll give it a go. So I reached out to them initially to say, hey, love to cover this. They didn't get back to me. So I'm like, all right, I'll I'll drop my 30 bucks. It's like 30 bucks, that's fine. I, I can afford to sacrifice that for the greater good. And there is no greater good here, buddy. This game sucks so much ass it is so again i'm not a developer i don't have a developer hat on here but it feels like it's been very quickly cobbled together almost for like a game jam the the vocal work that's done in this it feels like they've just recorded it in an afternoon they've said hey you want to make five dollars lady and she, and play this character They're like yeah no worries so the, the voice lines is like Oh my God, don't hit the egg. There's dinosaurs are going to come out. Ah, like it's just no emotion, no care. The art style, like, yes, it is throwback to Resident Evil 1, Resident Evil 2 times as far as the aesthetic goes, but it is so bad. The combat sucks. The menu usage sucks. The inventory management sucks. The soundtrack sucks. It feels like a bootleg game that I'm playing. Like it, it shouldn't be legally been able to be sold. It feels like somebody's half made it and gave me like the prototype. This is a full-fledged game that they're charging $30 for. And if you want to do the whole uh, the whole franchise as far as the the Dino Crisis and Resident Evil reimaginings, Xbox is selling that on the on the store for $199. For six of these games combined, $199. I nearly fell off my chair when I saw it. What? But uh, yeah, so I paid $30, but I'm de- sorry, dead drop games. This is not a good time. You are not the spiritual successor to Dino Crisis. You are very bad, very, very bad. And it's not even bad to the point of like humorous. I can push my way through. Like I played for two hours. And I'm like, I should have stopped an hour and a half ago. <laughs> it's not a good time, buddy.
1: That was... um. What's, what do they call that when you've spent, spent the money on it and you're like, okay, I kind of need to see it through or get my kind of
0: Get my money's money, worth, money's, sort of money's thing, worth yeah. Like,
1: well, I've spent the money. I got to keep pushing through and give it more of a chance, right?
0: Yeah. And uh, I kept hoping. I'm like, it's going to get good. I just want to encounter a T-Rex or something. But like, there's just these giant eggs just scattered throughout the level. And it's like, don't bump the egg or don't shoot the egg because then dinosaurs will come out. And it it's almost feels like, you know, the... The, the internet's hysteria that was doing the rounds a few weeks ago with the King Kong game where oh, the yeah. raptor attacks the King Kong and it's just a, like a static JPEG of the raptor <laughs> charging. That's like this game just continuously. I'm not saying as in like still, still images that just haven't been rendered out. It's just the image quality and just the animation is lacking and combined with a horrible soundtrack. And, and I need to sort of get the, they do like the Star Wars credit roll in to begin with and just some of the wording in that is just absurd. I need to try and dig it up. to How to many share, times maybe did they use the, the word
1: crisis in that? That uh, not
0: not once actually. Really, that's um, not once. But it ends with like the lining. The ending of it was like I'm hungry or something. Was what the the line ended on, that's and it a, just didn't a, make any sense. That's but that's, I'm that's like, copyright. At- that's a co- that's gimmick infringement. That's what I thought. So I'm like, maybe, maybe this is going to become just a big old spoof, a big old parody of uh, survival horror, but no. They tried to take themselves seriously, it feels like, and they fell on their face, and it's not a good time. I reckon you've got a copyright claim uh, case going there, Brendan. Coming for you, Dead Drop Games. Coming for my 30 bucks back at the very least. <laughs> but, uh, man, it was tough. Uh, really quick scattershot. It's been very... Um, very Marvel centric as far as what I've consumed. I've watched a ton in transit last week from an anime perspective, but I don't need to sort of go into detail there, but I just wanted to highlight the second season of Loki wrapped up last week and they stuck the landing. I don't know if you're a big, uh, Marvel's man these day, these days, buddy, or if you're up to date with the, the many spin-offs that are happening in the MCU, but, uh, It's good. It's good. It was a little uneven across the six episodes, but the way it ended and the way they can potentially pivot not only that franchise but the broader MCU intrigues me very much. And then I went and watched the Marvels yesterday. No expectations going into this because the trailers made it look kind of (laughs) crappy. But you know what? It's a fun time. Like It felt very nostalgic. It felt like I was watching a superhero film or a superhero show from like the late 90s early 2000s where they're like they know what's happening here they know they're going to have a bit of fun and some silliness and some absurdity because that's the world they live in and then they tied in some some good emotional hooks and some some stakes and some pretty impressive fight scenes and you know hundreds of millions of dollars worth of CGI that made it look very impressive but overall it was fun it's the shortest movie in the MCU they've made to date and i think that also impacted it in a positive way because it just kept that pacing going it was going from set piece to set piece and there wasn't much bloat it was just a fun time the dynamic between the three leads was great anything that Brie Larson does I'll gladly watch uh, until my eyes fall out she's a very talented individual and yeah even where that ends and where it sets up the the MCU again intrigues me also I want to avoid spoilers because it was like oh some big moments here but it was a fun time and like it's getting reviews around you know eight out of ten 80 out of a hundred if we go on metacritic rules and, and i think it's it's pretty well in line it's some of the best stuff that marvel studios have done in a few years that's a low bar to step over but maybe this is a step in the right direction question mark well hopefully because um, hmm. yeah i think
1: the comic book or the mcu fatigue um i think that the biggest thing that you said there uh first of all brie larson fantastic but the um I guess the, the length of it. Um, not, mm. not enough 90 minute bangers these days. And I think for this kind of format or type of story, like that is kind of perfect. Like, yeah. Not, you know, being a bit taut and not having too much plot. So um, generally not into Marvel stuff, but uh, it's good that it's getting the good kind of re- reviews. And, and hopefully it does steer everything back on, on onto a track and be a bit of a course correction for uh, people that uh, do like those movies.
0: Yeah, it's bittersweet. It's reviewing well, but also doing very poorly at the box office. And I think a bit of that is probably the flow-on from the the writer strike, where actors can't get out and promote. Yeah. So the the film's out now, and they can they can talk about it and do all the media tours, but because there's been six or so months of missed opportunity, there it's it's the worst performing title from a cinema perspective in the Marvel Universe to date. So I worry for that, but I think that's probably going to be a flow-on for a little while off the back of the strikes and things, but. It was fine. It was fine. And last one, I binged all of Blue Eye Samurai over the weekend, which is a a recent drop that hit Netflix. It's an animated show, eight episodes, and something that's a bit different with this in comparison to most of the other animated series doing the rounds is these episodes are upwards of about an hour each, so they sort of really slow the storytelling down. They really allow these big moments to hit and resonate the animation is gorgeous. I've never heard of this company that did it. They're a French company called Blue Spirit that animate it. And it's sort of set in Japan's Edo period. And you're following this mixed race swords master named Mizu who goes on a quest for vengeance. And it's slickly animated. The story is great. Big emotional highs and emotional lows. The voice acting is really, really impressive as well. And even the soundtrack, um, it did throw me in the last few episodes where they did sort of weave in almost like some Metallica covers and some modern what? songs, but like for the first six or so episodes, it was all very traditional and, and sort of scale back to, to music and sound. You'd probably be familiar with if you were wandering around Japan in the 17th century, but it was stunning and I'm a big fan of this. Um, apparently it was like written and created by a husband and wife team. So Michael Green and Amber Noizumi put it together and it's a great story. Uh, very powerful, very impactful, the way it ends could potentially open it up for for future seasons, but there's been no confirmation of a, a renewal for season two. But yeah, it's it's violent, and surprisingly for an animated show, there was a lot of nudity, there was a lot of sex, and there was a lot of uh, genitalia on display. Not only just the the female uh, organs, but also the male organs getting a lot of a uh, lot of airtime here, which uh, threw me a little bit. Anytime you see uh, an animated penis or vagina, but hey, that's the world we live in these days, buddy. Why didn't you leave with that? Like, uh, I'm sold. I'm I'm straight in, you know.
1: I was was reading him like, oh, from the writer of Logan and Blade Runner 2049. I'm like, oh, really? And then you're like, nudity, male, full frontal. I'm like, bang, done.
0: Yeah. Eight episodes, uh, close to eight hours worth of viewing. So it is a bit of a... Bit of a longer watch in comparison to some of the other animated series doing the rounds but um yeah check out the first episode and see if it's see if it's your jam because it's it's stunning the art does brutal. look amazing
1: yeah i'm watching the trail yeah fantastic oh wow okay
0: yeah very slick very stylized and just the sword play and just the the way that the fight and the combat scenes are played out it's really well animated and framed and it's just a good old time awesome what about you <clears throat> i see you've been watching a few things I've been watching lots. I've been watching lots and lots and (laughs) lots
1: of uh, movies. Um, The latest one I've watched was uh, David Finch's latest jaunt, which is The Killer, starring Michael Fassbender. Uh, It's just dropped on Netflix a couple days ago, uh, Mm -hmm. last week, from when you're listening to this. Um, I was lucky enough to see this in cinema as well, about a month ago. So yeah. um it was awesome to experience in the cinema. I'm glad I got that experience. Um it was fantastic. And then yeah, just kind of uh rewatch last night. I mean we're kind of counting down the days until it uh, dropped on Netflix and uh, watched it kind of um the yeah, same day it dropped, which is something I usually don't do. I watch way more movies at the cinema than what I do in home. So um mm-hmm. yeah, it was worth a rewatch. Fantastic. And yeah, Finch is one of my favorite directors. Uh Michael Fassbender is fantastic in it, and um Yeah, another collaboration between Fincher, Atticus Ross, and Trent Reznor for the soundtrack, which is cool. Uh, Get all your kind of Fincherisms in it. Well shot. The awesome opening montage. Uh, Very Hitman-like for the people that play video games at home and kind Mm -hmm. of some of their title cards that come up and the the mannerisms and, and nature of the character. Fassbender rarely speaks in the movie. It's all kind of inner monologue, and at times it is darkly funny. Okay. Yeah, it's just uh, yeah, it's a good time. So if you're already a Fincher fan, I think it's an easy one to to watch. Um, If you're not and you're after some kind of like a slow burn, kind of interesting assassin, hitman like thing, then yeah, I'd I'd say check it
0: out. I I always take notice anytime Fincher's attached to anything because he doesn't sort of just keep himself busy and he's churning through new, new content whether it be on the big or the small screen every you know six months or whatever it can be sort of a few years between between uh things that he'll attach himself to and and yeah, he, he's been part of some of my favorite franchises. Like I know Alien Three can be a little little divisive, depending on who you talk to. But I think he did pretty well considering the circumstance. You know, stuff like Seven and Fight Club and and Gone Girl and, and yeah Killer looks the business. And I'm keen to check this out. It's, it's certainly on my list, especially with Trent Reznor involved. He's starting to do more and more in cinema, and I'm all for it because he's got such an ear for this thing and such a knack for being able to accompany these various musical pieces with with key moments on screen and it synergizes so well and i am hyped to check it out because yeah fassbender is just a dude and he's one of the best out there and combining him with fincher makes me very excited sadly we'll never see any more mind hunter which is something that still breaks my heart but um yeah fincher fincher's a very talented individual and I have high hopes for this, and and knowing the cinema, cinephile that you are, uh, giving this some good praise, I am going to add this to my watch list this week, I think, because it sounds like a good time. It is a good time. Mm. Any other good times you've been checking out this week? Yeah,
1: well, not this week, but um, maybe in the last couple of weeks or so. Okay. Uh, So, Brisbane International Film Festival has just wrapped up uh, on the 5th of November. Um, Got to see 10 movies across. 10 days uh some of them uh, kind of stuff that's come of cans uh, quite revered or big stuff that's going to be releasing early next year or uh in the case uh, of something coming this this week as well
0: uh, mm-hmm. in
1: cinemas which is uh, saltburn um emerald fennel's latest uh, who did promising young woman but yeah just um yeah 10 movies it's was, it was fantastic a lot of bangers in there probably saltburn is probably the the pick of the bunch uh barry keegan who was i guess in Promisi- uh, it's not promising promising omen so he was in banshees of in last year he was nominated for an oscar uh, he was fantastic and he's the lead just a messed up i don't even know how to describe it just 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 there's some wild scenes <laughs> there's 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 one crazy scene of actions of one of the characters that does and you're like wow that's one of the craziest wildest things i've seen a character do in a film and there's at least two more of those in the same film interesting Um, it is just full on Um, and then if you are aussie stuff that i saw as well that were quite good particularly horror stuff late night with the devil um, bird eater and then the royal hotel the royal hotel was the last one that i watched and that was about two, two backpackers who get a job and kind of in remote australia to try and make some money and at they're at a pub kind of seeing how male gays and FIFO workers and how they're treated and kind of uh what turns into like a little kind of getaway to the outback and make some money turns into like a, a, a horror nightmare for them quite quickly so damn
0: okay a bit of a, a, a thrill there yeah you to add to the list it sounds like a good time it's um we're so spoilt with cinema these days and i love that australia and and across the various cities that we all reside in really focus on these little festivals like every time i go to palace cinemas there's there's I think the British Film Festival is on right now in there. Probably next month it's going to be the German, then it's going to be Spanish. (laughs) Like It's just an endless influx of film that would never necessarily be on my radar. But I'll see a trailer and be like, oh, okay, maybe I'll go check that out on like a a random weeknight or something and and just walk up the road and check it out because there's so much good stuff that is outside of our direct periphery that we miss on the
1: daily. And the other big one that you might be interested in as well is um, Poor Things. Uh, which is Yorgos Lanthimos, his latest. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did The Lobster, Killing of Sacred Deer, and Ooh, The Favourite. So if you okay. kind of messed up kind of realizations of alternate versions of the world, um, yeah, check that out. And, and, and Emma Stone is wild in it. I think she's going to get an Oscar awesome nomination for this as well. Mark Ruffalo is fantastic too. Uh, Willem Defoe's in it. Just wild. Yep. Um, it's almost... Kind of a Frankensteiny Alice in Wonderland sexual awakening. Yeah, I'm I'm watching a trailer trip. right
0: now and it is a trip. Yeah, it uh it looks like a time.
1: Yeah, I think that's going to be one of the ones that's uh, more divisive and people are going to love that or absolutely hate it. But yeah, uh, Emma Stone, wild, just it's crazy. Yeah.
0: She's very talented. It's crazy that this this film was in development since 2009, so it's been a <laughs> Been a bit of a slow slow burn to get it out there, but now it's here. And the cast you mentioned, I, I know Willem Dafoe ain't ain't sort of opposed to crazy and wacky and unsettling. So, uh, yeah, who knows? Who knows if there's going to be any more penises cut off with Willem Dafoe around? Or there's some, uh, there's a lot of nudity in that one as well, male okay. and female. There you go. I'm sensing a theme for this episode, so uh, it's, it's a good time. But uh, anything else you want to mention before maybe we jump into some news that's doing the rounds? I think that's it for uh, for movies, but let's do it. All right, all right, all right.
1: News and notes from around the internet presented by Audio-Technica.
0: Upgrade that audio game today over at audio-technica.com, whether you want in-ears, over-ears, gaming headsets, turntables, microphones, they've got it, you want it, go get it. Please and thank you. All right. The first bit of news I've titled a live action Legend of Zelda film is officially on the way. And then in parentheses, I said, and I myself have a hard time caring. (laughs) So we're not going to go into, into the announcement because anyone that's been on the internet the last seven to 10 days knows that this is an official thing, but um, off the back of the announcement that, uh, yeah, Nintendo are going to be developing, Shigeru Miyamoto is handling this one with the utmost care, doing what he can to ensure the movie meets and exceeds expectations and has since said the following in a recent interview. Regarding the live-action film of The Legend of Zelda, I know we face an extremely high hurdle in producing a film that, that will not disappoint the global fan base. With this challenge in mind, I've been discussing this project with Avi Arad, chairman of Arid Productions, Inc., for about 10 years now. Movies are just like games in that you need to spend a lot of time working on them until you get to something you're satisfied with. Movies, therefore, need sponsors who can lend their full support until completion. For the production of our movies, Nintendo itself acts as a sponsor. To produce the movie, we were able to assemble a group of people who are willing to commit time to production until we come up with something we feel confident about. So The Legend of Zelda movie will be directed by Wes Ball, who most recently helmed The Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, and is said to be written by Derek Connolly, who co-wrote the Jurassic World trilogy and the canned Star Wars draft dubbed Fuel of the Fates. This this film is going to be released in parallel through Nintendo as well as Sony. And having Ari Arad involved gives me some positive vibes because this man gets video game adaptations better than most. I still really struggle with what they're going to do with this film as a whole because Zelda and the world that uh, exists out there still doesn't properly resonate with me the way it does with a lot of the other gaming audience out there. Are we going to get a silent Link the entire time? Are we going to sort of flip the script and have a a Link that's going to be vocalizing his thoughts and feelings more than grunts and slide noises for the entirety of the film? I don't know. I would also like to say amongst all this stuff I'm throwing around is I'd love to know who you're going to cast as Link, Mr. Watson. But first and foremost, I guess, where do you stand on this movie? Does this excite you? Are you in? Are you feeling positive? What's the vibe? What's the temperature check that you're, uh, you've are got in regards to the Legend of Zelda film that is, uh, you know, it's been in discussion now for a decade. I don't know if it means it's going to be another five to 10 years before we see it hit the screen, but where you at? Full disclaimer,
1: Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past, my favorite game of all time. Okay. I, I love okay. Zelda. I don't think so. Um, I'd love a Zelda movie, but the the fact that it's a live action has got me really worried. I think Zelda would translate well to an animated movie the same way the Super Mario Brothers movie did before, and even though it was Illumination, whether you liked it or not, it still was at least true to what Mario Brothers was. It sounded, it looked, and it felt like a you know. A video game Mario brothers whether it's fan service or not but i know a lot of people enjoyed that and um i think a lot of kids love that as well for zelda i'm just worried about a live action movie of that because the world is so quirky Mm -hmm. Uh, how will that translate into a fantasy setting when you kind of throw it up to things like lord of the rings uh the hobbit uh all that kind of stuff can like is it what's the line between like being corny and lame and kind of being like serious and and kind of
0: yeah Yeah, i think like um i think definitely nostalgic throwbacks to like willow legend princess bride if you can sort of nail that tone Mm. i think that could exist in this world where it is heartfelt at times it's dramatic there's some good action but it is also quirky and a little little whimsical and a little unique so the tone is one thing and i've got to quickly just walk it back i got adi shankar mixed up with avi arad when I was talking about the king of game adaptations. So, yeah, RV is the king of, I guess, MCU adaptations. He's been (laughs) all over that. He did do Uncharted, which is here, there, and anywhere. and He's attached to Borderlands, but for the most part, he was attached to things like Venom and the X-Men franchise and stuff. So maybe maybe his record isn't too great outside of the Blade films, uh, which he was executive producing, which, fine, the first two anyway. But... um, I don't know, man. I don't know how I feel about this. I I love fantasy and I love watching fantasy. I watch so much shitty anime fantasy. It's not funny. So I'll certainly go into this with an open mind, but I just can't get on board yet. But maybe like you said, going down the animated route might be a smarter play, easier barrier to entry, uh, easier to sort of just translate these characters directly to, from game to screen. But I don't know. I don't know. Who who are they going to cast as Link? Is it going to be a no-name? And you think like
1: Warcraft, the movie as well, like how how, how weird is like someone like Ganon or Ganondorf and all these like bosses and kind of Bokoblins and all these enemy types, that how will they translate into a live action setting? Is it going to be like CGI? Is it going to be not CGI? Is it going to be like puppeteered? Or like how weird is it going to kind of- Yeah. Give
0: me give me some never-ending
1: story Falcor
0: style. Give me some puppeteered <laughs> giant, giant flying dragon
1: dogs. Yeah, 100%. As far as like casting, who do I want? I've only got two names, and um, it's I guess it's partly memed, but then also like I would love to see them team up again, and that's uh, Timothy Chalamet as as Link or or Twink, and um, Saoirse Ronan as uh, Zelda, and kind of you know let's uh, let's run it run it back. We'll get Greta Gerwig to direct it, uh, reunite the the trio from Little Women, and um, we'll just make it kind of that uh, that Barbie play it yourself kind of. Uh, self-aware and very meta type of vibe and, and we'll go that way to kind of get over the quirkiness or or the weird you know satire and 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 weirdness it could be. We'll kind of make it a um I don't know something something funny maybe like play play on itself.
0: I'm down for that. I'm also down for Scarlett Johansson just upsetting everybody and cast getting her cast as link. Like let's let's just keep with the controversy. <laughs> let's just put her in everything just just for the lulls. But yeah I don't know which sort of time period they're going to go in as far as if they're going to lean into like a young Link and have almost like a bit of an origin story type of vibe or is he going to be a little bit more older and, and set in his uh, heroic ways by then? Who knows? But um, I'm very intrigued. Uh, I still feel a little unsettled now because when, when I was thinking Adi Shankar before, I'm like, hell yeah, hell yeah, especially if they could double down and go animated as opposed to live action, but we'll see. We'll see because, um, yeah, the most recent ones that uh, that Arid Productions have been tied to are things like you know Craven the Hunter, Morbius, Uncharted, and the Venom films. So like they were attached, dotted line to Across and Into the Spider Verse, but I think they didn't really have much sway as far as how they were made. But the live action stuff. It ain't a good recent track record, that's for sure. So uh, we'll see, listeners. We'll see what happens with uh, Legend of Zelda as it hits our screens, maybe before factions, who knows? (laughs) Don't do that to me.
1: The scariest thing (laughs) is that Tom Holland is rostered to Sony and he obviously played Nathan Drake in the Uncharted franchise. So a bit of skepticism from me is like, forget who the fan castings are, who would be perfect for these. It's just going to be Sony contracted actors and actresses that are going to be... You know, under contention because they've got like a three-movie deal or a four-movie deal or whatever, and they're going to just wheel them out to make this oh one of the boy. movies. So um, my ultimate fear would it be is just like Tom Holland or you know, someone like that gets uh, thrown in. Tom like, Hardy? Oh, he, That's yeah, an old a, grizzled oh, link. Let's go. <laughs> really adopted the Master Sword. I was born in it. Molded
0: by it. <laughs> or they just lean into, into Mad Max Fury Road and he says like three words the whole time. So it could lean into Silent Link. Well, but, uh, as, as long as some of those words are, well,
1: excuse me, princess.
0: <laughs> but Tom ha- Tom Hardy
1: has to do that in the Bane voice. Like, well, excuse oh my me, God. princess.
0: I would pay for like gold class tickets. If, if that ends up being the casting, it would just be that much of a mess. I would pay for the most exuberant cinematic experience I could just to sort of be as comfortable as I am being uncomfortable watching this film. Burn in front of my eyes. So, so we'll see. <laughs> we'll see what happens with uh the Legend of Zelda when it makes its way to screen. But I like that they're taking their time with this thing. The fact that it's been in their in their mindset and thought process for a decade plus. I don't know what what extent these discussions have over the last ten years it was almost like Miyamoto called up his Harvey, like, What do you think about this one? He's like, it's great, and that's it. And then they pick it up again two years later, but. Uh, We'll see. We'll see. I'm going to uh, try and remain neutral on that. I'm going to try and remain neutral on the next one, which is called Portality. Rejoice, <laughs> Australian PlayStation fans, as a local release date has finally been revealed for Sony's new dedicated PS5 remote play device, the PlayStation Portal. As shared earlier today, and obviously we're recording on the 13th of November, 2023, the portal will be releasing in Australia on February the 2nd of 2024. The device will cost $329.95, and as little technology-based refresher, the PlayStation Portal is a new dedicated handheld device for playing PlayStation 5 games from a console via remote play anywhere that has Wi-Fi available. With an 8-inch 1080p 60 fps display surrounded by dual sense like controls on either side including haptic feedback and adaptive trigger features so buddy are you in are you getting yourself a playstation portable a uh, portal or are you out like me oh uh, mount <laughs> <laughs> uh
1: no not for me this is such a niche type product um that i don't see it selling overly crazy i don't know how many people are in the market for this In my mind, I guess it's that person, the same type of person that might have like a second Switch at home that's like a Switch light. They already own a Switch and they need a Switch Mm light for when they're going upstairs or um, the main TV is not on but you don't want to use the Switch downstairs or whatever scenario that is. Um, I guess like I know one of my friends is super keen on it because he does a lot of remote play in his bed um, from downstairs. Like his wife might be in bed or they're like... You know, she's reading or whatever and they'll be like next to each other instead of him being downstairs around mm-hmm. the room so i can see situations where it is used and there is that kind of market but it's very very small so um i'm curious to see how it sells from a retail
0: perspective i, I, don't, I don't think it's going to sell too well hey like like you said the the perfect word it's niche and i think it's too niche to be commercially successful like i could be wrong i'm i'm wrong more often than i'm right on a lot of things so yeah sony could could fool me here and everyone's going to want to pick up a playstation portal come february 2nd next year in australia but i don't get it and i don't get the 330 dollars price point where Mm. you can get yourself a little backbone and turn your phone into a remote based device to play your games at a fraction of the cost so yeah mm, Is the backbone cost of say, let's just say, a hundred-ish dollars, is one of the portals worth three times as much as that to just get the the haptic feedback and the adaptive triggers? I do not know. Maybe, maybe some Sony Pony fans out there are all about that life, but I just don't get it. I love wasting money, but this does not uh, incentivize me to throw anything at this product. But I'm happy for the ones like you mentioned, one of of your mates, where he can do the remote play upstairs while the partner might be watching something else or or reading like that makes sense but my lifestyle does not have a place for the PlayStation portal yeah same it's just so weird because of the switch
1: and how popular that has been and obviously in the past we've had the Vita uh, RIP and the calls of a Sony successor to the handheld market but it just feels like it's it's kind of way off and you think about like PlayStation VR and how that's not getting supported or is getting supported and how the price tag on that uh, throw in the, like the dual sense edge, which is the same or similar price bracket. I think three thirty, three thirty-nine. Yeah. Uh, I bought one of those and it's still in the box in the cupboard. There you go. <laughs> I feel like that does get a lot more use out of it. Cause there is more of a market for people that do like want the back buttons and everything, but this is just, uh, I don't know. Maybe I could be proven wrong with how much it sells and how many people want it, but I guess we'll see. Not, not for mm. me though.
0: Yeah, no. But for the ones that this is for, very happy for you and I hope, hope you have a best best experience known to man when it drops on February the 2nd next year here in Australia. But yeah, 330 hundred and it's a little too exy for me. But um, yeah, moving on. Got a little, bit of, a little bit of sad news. We're going to pour some out for our homies over at Samurai Punk because in a post shared on its website this week and also via social media, the Killbug developer said that after 10 years in operations, the team has made the tough decision to cease development. The post was signed by directors Winston Tang and Nicholas McDonnell, who thanked their team for the nine incredible games the Melbourne-based studio has developed. Samurai Punk started in 2014 during a situation in Australia where jobs were short and the only route forward for us was to either found a company or move overseas to find work. We banded together with the shared goal of creating exciting and fresh game experiences, and we're incredibly proud of what we're able to achieve together. Since then, we've grown a lot as developers and learned a lot about what we want as artists making video games. This introspection has led us to the conclusion that it's the right time for us to part ways and embark on new adventures. And that's listed on the official website, and obviously on the social. So very bittersweet. These guys and girls have been around the gaming scene for a very long time, like a decade in the industry. And they've had a lot of touch with some fantastic games. My first experience with Samurai Punk was playing Screen Sheet way back in the day, which was a fantastic uh, multiplayer split-screen split shooter where everyone you play against is invisible, so you have to look into their respective four quadrants to work out where they are to take them down. I really loved that concept in the mid-2000s. But then most recently, like they did some work on Florence, which I absolutely <coughs> adored as far as a mobile narrative-based game goes. It hit me in the heart in many 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 ways but uh buddy yeah samurai punk uh closing its doors imminently which is uh very sad to think about yeah very
1: disappointing um two of their games i have played which is uh the first one is roombo first blood which is kind of a hilarious top-down uh robot vacuum it's uh, so whatever it is just (laughs) like like manipulating and, and killing people that are kind of like breaking in uh, to your family home, uh, just blood and electrocuting people, running over people, and, yeah, it's just, just wild. Um, and then the other one I played was uh, Feather, uh, which is kind of just a super cozy game where you're just, like, flying around and discovering an island and finding things and, yeah, just super quaint. So, uh, yeah, two games I really enjoyed. Pretty always sad to see um, uh, develop a kind of call cool time, um, especially one from uh, a local one in Australia and Melbourne.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely, and, and no doubt the talented team over there will be hopefully finding work soon, much sooner rather than later, and, and picked up and sort of land on their feet. Because uh, the, one of the the infrequence that happens here on this pod, as a lot of others, is this this industry is so unstable at the moment, so volatile, and there's there's jobs getting cut left, right, and center. And and even though this is some sad news, I guess it's nice that they've made the decision to go out on their own terms, so everyone is not going to be just coming into work that morning and finding out that they're locked out of their terminal and can't get access to anything, it feels like this is going to be a, a nice, smooth transition as far as scaling scaling things down at Samurai Punk and moving forward because, um, yeah, this industry scary, man. Like I don't know why anyone would be excited to try and jump into the video game space at the moment because, uh, yeah, the floor is lava and <laughs> it's not a good place to be. Yeah, you have to have a particular uh, mindset or kind of... Um
1: bravado or I don't know what, uh, what, the, what, the, what the right word is to kind of get into it, but uh, yeah, definitely not for me. I applaud the people that do do
0: that um, mm-hmm. and make us great video games as well, so. Exactly, yeah. For the audio-based listeners, I'm tipping my hat right now, but uh, we're going to move on to the last bit of news. Well, this isn't really news. Uh, with, the, with the recording schedules, we're, we're a day early before <laughs> the 2023 Game Awards nominees are officially announced, so we thought we'd throw our hat in the ring and decide who we feel could, uh, could end up on these shortlists. So, yeah, we're recording on the 13th of November. Timestamp is 8.22 p.m. or 7.22 p.m. for Buddy Up in Queensland. So we're approximately maybe 10 hours away unless something's leaked. I'm not looking online right now to see if the noms have, have leaked. But um, what we're going to do is we're both going to throw our six or so game of the year nominee predictions out there and then we're going to take a separate category each where buddy has go- is he's going to be tackling the the indie of the year award nominations and i'm going to be attacking the adaptation of the year nominations. so that's you know game translating to big or small screen so so buddy did we want to do our individual ones first and then game of the year or flip it the other way which which way do you want to tackle this thing I Can we go game of the year first because this is the first time I've uh, opened the
1: dock and saw your picks that are in here and they're exactly the same. (laughs) (laughs) I thought we would be different at least on one and I had a feeling, yeah, I have a feeling on on what title it would be, but yeah. yeah. I think think four of them are massive locks from that list that uh, we both got, which are the same, and then the other two were kind of maybe up to interpretation, one being a lot more comfortable than the
0: other. Uh, so All let's right. kind of see if we're on the same
1: page uh, in that regard, at least.
0: Okay, so I'll, I'll say what I think of the four locks and yep. then we'll see if, if we're in lockstep there. So I think um, Alan Wake 2 is a lock, Baldur's Gate 3 is a lock, Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom is a lock and Spider-Man 2 is a lock. I feel Super Mario Brothers Wonder and Resident Evil 4 Remake are my, maybe could be substituted out for other things.
1: Okay, so I'm a bit different on one. Okay. Uh, I've got Super Mario Brothers Wonder and Spider-Man 2. Uh, Tier, uh, Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom and Baldur's Gate 3 as my locks oh, I have okay. Alan Wake 2 as my most likely um, to be in there and my kind of one that's on the border is maybe Resident Evil 4 depending on mm-hmm. how kind of mm-hmm. uh, games journalists and press kind of uh, vote I know there's a lot of love for Starfields uh, here, or, here or there whether it's uh, like Janky or not I know a lot of people put hours yeah. into that and it's a lot more recent than what Resident Evil is and Resident Evil being a remake as well so I don't know. I think there's a, a few different titles that could get thrown into there, but I feel like Resident Evil's got a lot of love over the years uh, when it comes to the game awards with like a Village and RE2 Remake and stuff. So,
0: yeah, I was, um, I had Starfield on my short list. I also had, I haven't played a minute of it still, but I had Final Fantasy 16 as well because yep. it's gotten a lot of love and it's a title that is just that big. It usually does fall onto many, many sort of game of the year based lists. So, It wouldn't surprise me if a Resident Evil 4 made way for a Starfield or a Final Fantasy Sixteen. Yeah, okay. So we've got the exact same Game of the Year (laughs) nomination, so it's going to be hard to determine a winner in that regard as far as uh, who takes home the bacon between our respective predictions. But did you want to now step me through your Indie of the Year nominations you've got that you feel might be announced in uh, several hours' time? Uh, So I've got Dredge, which is... You know, yeah, if, if,
1: if there's no Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom this year, that is my game of the year. I would reviewed, reviewed it over at Explosion Network. I gave it a ten. Uh, I think it's fantastic. The DLC comes out this week. New Zealand developer, first time game. Just oh, just play Dredge. Um, please do. It is
0: so freaking good in every way.
1: Yeah, the other one that I think is a lock is Sea of Stars. Uh, once again, not my style of game but i did play the messenger which was their previous game which is kind of a different style but this is more of a turn-based kind of throwback to like your snes uh 16 bit turn-based rpgs and and of that era with your like your chrono trigger and everything so csr's i think is pretty much a lock and then the four others are pretty much uh open i think it's going to be cocoon Mm -hmm. which i do want to play uh humanity just because more strategical because it launched on PlayStation Plus and maybe more people have got access to it and played that um, than some other titles. And then uh, the other pick that
0: I've got, because there's usually five nominees for each category. Is that right? Or six? Uh, It varies. Like the the game of the year's got six. The adaptation one I was looking at from last year only had five. So, yeah, if you want to throw six down or five, I don't think there's a right or wrong. All right, I'll throw six
1: down because uh, I had I was on the fence between two of them. Uh, the other one is Chance of Sana, mm-hmm. which is a really cool indie game kind of about uh, communication and f- puzzle solving through uh, language and picking up uh, languages that kind of you don't understand until you get bits and pieces of words and it uh, looks super cool. And then maybe the other one, uh, I don't know if this is a sleeper hit or not because it was nominated for like the golden joysticks, uh, but I haven't really heard too much international press speaking about it i just maybe it's not the scenes that i'm in but um dave the diver i know uh kataku <laughs> au love that i know explosion network it's great uh, man i think it's fantastic um i'll probably pick it up when it comes to ps5 uh that eventually gets a port so
0: yeah maybe that's my six i i wasn't sure if you were going to mention dave the diver and i was going to bring <laughs> that up and say that would probably be on a few short lists because the world seems to be gotten pretty horny about that game and i really enjoyed it i played it on my asus rog ally Perfect game for a handheld and it's fun. It's scary. It's heartfelt. It's got some crazy sort of, um, you know, puzzle pieces combining with, uh, running a sushi restaurant. Like (laughs) I I love sort of cooking Sims. So tying that into something with the genuine story that can make you feel all kinds of emotion is a good old time. So yeah, Dave, the diver is, uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see that get quite a few noms, um, tomorrow when, when this official list drops. So uh, I, I think that's a good list you got going there. Thank you. Yeah, and it's nice to see ANZ indie year-on-year year doing well. Every year, like we had Cult of Lamb last year. This year, we got Dredge. Who knows what's going to happen next year as far as the next big hit. But uh, yeah, it's an exciting time. So yeah, I'm tackling the, the adaptations. So something that was once a game and has now uh, been translated to screen, And I've put these just in alphabetical order. And so I've put Castlevania Nocturne down, which is uh, the the most recent addition to the uh, the Netflix uh, suite of Castlevania anime-based adaptations. It is so good. It's, I think, almost better than the first four seasons of Castlevania for me. Maybe it's recency bias. Uh, I feel probably the ultimate winner here would be The Last of Us uh, making its way to HBO, so that will be on the list. I also put Near Automata version 1.1a, which is the anime spinoff that they've released. It really wasn't for me, but it also it's pretty pretty uh, thin out there in the streets as far as uh, notable adaptations that I could put in that were actually passable. Uh, the Super Mario Brothers movie, which wouldn't surprise me to also one. I put Tetris down, which was the, uh, the greater uh, story of how Tetris came to be in the 80s, which is available on Apple TV+. And the other one I mentioned, which uh, was surprisingly fun and enjoyable, was the live-action uh, adaptation of Twisted Metal, which uh, dropped a few months ago on Peacock. So that's my uh, that's my six that I could see. If there's five, I don't know, take your pick of which one you want to punt off there from the back end. But uh, yeah, I could see The Last of Us, may- maybe Super Mario Brothers movie getting a win just based off the amount of goddamn money it made. But I feel <laughs> The Last of Us is like a... No, dollar fifty favorite. It is a uh, very short odds to take out the title there because it's so good. Hundred percent. Yeah,
1: that's. Just, I didn't realize there was that many uh, quality adaptations this year. When you said adaptations, like what are you talking about? Because I haven't looked at those categories uh, until you kind of brought it up. I'm like, ah, oh, of course, yeah. In Castlevania as well. Tetris. I forgot all about the Tetris movie that I need to see
0: too. It's so good, man. You need to you need to check it out. Yeah, because like looking in 2022, they had uh, 6, 12, 18, 24. They had 31 categories that they went through there is like a thousand esports ones i don't know if they're back again this year but uh yeah the main ones that we're we're usually caring about is yeah the you know game of the year, indie game best narrative game direction and stuff but uh yeah i'm I'm excited to see uh who who sort of gets the noms tomorrow and um we'll unpack that in more detail on thg Three, four, two next week, and sort of see where we were right, where we were wrong. Any, any sort of major absentees as well, or people that were robbed, or maybe some undeserved nominations that we can uh, get as catty and as nasty as we want to. But <laughs> I, I don't know how we're gonna how we're gonna determine a winner because we can put some kind of like friendly wager on the line where mm. where the the winner gets some form of, of treat from the loser. So we'll have to plan that. Well, out. Is, is there?
1: How do you how do you like? Okay, okay, so. Hmm. I'm trying to think about this.
0: Because our game of the year, it's it's consistent across the board. So that's yep. sort of a split. But maybe we'll work it out off, off our individual nomination category. So I, I so. put down six. You put down six. We'll see who has most right out of that. And um, yeah, may the best man win. Yeah. Who do you think will get the most nominations? What game? Baldur's Gate 3, I think. Baldur's Gate 3. I feel, or maybe, maybe Tears of the Kingdom, but... It feels like this is the year of Baldur's Gate. Go- like Elden Ring, it was the year of twenty twenty two, but it feels like Baldur's Gate three has just come out of, well, not out of nowhere, but it's just blown up, and it's just universally praised. And I feel it's going to be in a lot of categories tomorrow in the in the Game of the Year noms. What uh, about you? What do you think is going to uh, be the front runner? I think
1: yeah, I think the same. Uh, it's pretty much. I feel like it's between those two as like the big kind of megaton games of the year. Um. You know, not to disparage everyone else and, and, and everything, but they feel like the the zeitgeist in the same way that Elden Ring was in, in its year, and even Breath of the Wild when that came out. So,
0: yeah, yeah. But um, yeah. It's been a, it's been a good year for for games for for consumers. We've uh, been very spoilt. And uh, yeah, it's, it's nice to see uh, these games get their, get their just, just deserves at the end of the year. And hopefully the, the right teams win here. And hopefully I can uh, get myself a tasty treat after predicting six of six <laughs> adaptations. Who knows? I could be way off and there could be something I, I missed that uh, translated to screen. Like I didn't, the latest season of The Witcher was kind of shit. So I'm like, that shouldn't be there. It's not a good time. <laughs> it was such a weak Henry Cavill send off. It was so bad. Well, next week, if it's a tie, we'll find something to double it, up, double it up. We'll, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll go again. Yeah, on something. sounds good. All right, so uh, we're going to end. Oh, we're not going to end. This is the second last part, but we're going to move out of the news and get into a little bit of madness that we like to call
1: Miss Allie Hart's carousel of chaos.
0: All right, listeners, what is that I hear you ask? So Miss Ali Hart's Carousel of Chaos is a rotating mini game based event where we're going to sort of cycle in and out an assortment of games and categories that we've sort of put together. And uh, I've spun the wheel already and we've landed on one that I like to call the cost of a cameo. And so what that means is if we're going to tie it into maybe prices right where we're going, we want, to, we want to sort these five cameo artists or five cameo artists. Uh, profiles from cheapest to most expensive so you need to work out you don't need to give me the the rate and say oh they charge this much you need to just sort of work out from these five names are going to give you in alphabetical order who charges the least who charges the most and we'll see if you can make it all the way through these five potential hurdles so buddy are you ready to play a bit of cost of cameo bring it on let's go price is wrong bitch so i've tied this one in uh we we did sort of talk about uh the last of us factions earlier so this is a last of us inspired cost of cameo where i've got five cameo profiles five cameoists i don't know what you want to call them but um yeah five five people that have also lent their vocal talents their likenesses to characters from within the last of us universe so we're gonna go alphabetical order. So the first one in question is Ashley Scott and she does the voice and motion capture for Maria Miller and her little uh, little cameo bio reads as follows. Artificial intelligence, birds of prey, DC comics, SWAT, walking tall, great throwback with The Rock, Jericho, The Kingdom, The Last of Us. And she also says, pumped to use this medium to connect with my tribe. Much love, Ashley. So very heartfelt, very, very honest. So Ashley Scott, voice and motion capture from Rhea miller i'll give you the next one now and that is derek phillips and he handles jerry anderson in the last of us part two and his bio reads as follows actor friday night lights longmire shooter them 42 ncis ncis hawaii i should say i forgot the parentheses there and he also does voice work or motion capture work for life is strange the last of us one and two fallout 4 dishonored Walking Dead Michonne, Blood of Zeus, and Call of Duty Vanguard. So Derek Phillips, aka Jerry Anderson in The Last of Us franchise. Next one, Hannah Hayes, voice and motion capture for Sarah. Her bio reads, Actor, The Last of Us, The Grinder, Tagged, Insidious. Let's make some people happy, shall we, she says. Also very positive profile. So Hannah Hayes, voice and motion capture for Sarah. And then the next one, Jeffrey Pierce. One second. My uh, page has just uh, frozen here. So let me just pull this back up again refresh that. Sorry, buddy. So Jeffrey Pierce, Tommy from The Last of Us, Lieutenant Turner from Call of Duty World War II, Merrick from Call of Duty Ghosts, Perry from the HBO's The Last of Us, Alan Pangborn from Hulu's Castle Rock, and Dobbs from Amazon's Bosch. So Jeffrey Pierce is the second last character we're going to be trying to work out where he fits in this this cost of cameo pricing structure. And the last one, W Earl Brown, voice and motion capture for Bill. I'm that guy from that thing. Warren in There's Something About Mary, Dan in Deadwood, Kenny in Scream, Bill in The Last of Us, and Sheriff Root in Preacher, and a bunch of other stuff, he says. So Ashley Scott, Derek Phillips, Hannah Hayes, Jeffrey Pierce, and W Earl Brown, rank them from least expensive to most expensive go
1: oh man okay uh so we got i'm gonna go by the character uh, characters in the game so it's maria miller yep. tommy so yep. tommy and tommy's wife then we have bill and then we also have uh who are the other characters jerry jerry
0: anderson who
1: is who is he he's the last of us two isn't he he's the- yes he is the soldier right mm-hmm. um, and then who was the other character
0: and <clears throat> then Hannah Hayes does the voice and motion oh. capture for Sarah yeah, Sarah
1: all right Sarah I think is gonna be number one as far as least expensive no at the top I reckon she's the most expensive okay Hannah Hayes I'll put her at number one. I'm going specifically off last of us uh, credits no other credits in, in there uh, in their IMDB here so yeah we're gonna go Sarah at the top uh, I think I think I'm going to go Jerry down the bottom.
0: Okay. You're going to go Jerry Last. down the bottom. Okay.
1: And then I've got uh, Tommy, Tommy's wife and Bill. I reckon... Bill or Tommy. Ooh. I reckon uh, that Maria Miller, she could be popular from other stuff, couldn't she? From her other film. Uh,
0: kind of from filmography. Jericho, maybe, or Walking yeah, Tall. That's it. Was Walking Talk... Was that the one where he was using a giant piece of lumber to beat people all the time? I think so, yeah. It's The Rock, yes. right? Yeah. In that, in that little town. I saw that Sean... in movies. Yeah. No, it wasn't Sean William Scott. That
1: was the one where he was... That was The, the Rundown, or Welcome to the Jungle from That's it. A.U.A.U. Great, Great film, film too, Talk. by the way. Fantastic. Christopher Walking. A little bit of lightning. <laughs> um, Yeah, she could be up there. Uh, I'm going to go... Yeah, I reckon she is... For Jericho as well, Nerds, Supernova. All right, she's mm-hmm. going to be
0: second most expensive. Okay, so Ashley Scott in the in the two slot, okay? Yeah. And then we got So you Doug. need to work out where Jeffrey Pierce and W Earl Brown sit. So Bill and Tommy, where do they sit? Oh, based on characters I'd say Tommy with his southern draw, but um, what else does Bill do? Um so Bill has also done Warren in there's something about Mary, Have you seen my baseball or Frank and Beans? <laughs> He uh, was also Dan in Deadwood, and he also like in that show had a hectic, hectic sort of uh, punch-up yeah. slash fight. I, th- I think I'm streets. gonna
1: go. i gonna think I'm gonna go him three, and then uh, Tommy to start. Okay. four.
0: see how we'll see, how, we'll, we'll see how we go. I have zero confidence out of this. Okay, all right. So we'll go from. We'll go from um, last to first as far as the the people you put and then their their value. So, Derek Phillips, you put him in the five slot. He charges one hundred and two dollars AUD per cameo. Pretty pretty respectable. Pretty respectable, I think. Um, Jeffrey Pierce, who plays Tommy in The Last of Us. Also charges one hundred and two, so I would have accepted Ooh. both of those. So all right, that's good so, so far. So you win there on the technicality. Yep. W Earl Brown that you put in the three slot, he charges one hundred and eighteen dollars. So you Ooh. are correct so far. You are correct so far, and we're moving up the ranks here to Ashley Scott, who you talked about her her broader prowess and, and doing many things like birds of prey and walking tall, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. She charges 275 Australian dollars per cameo. Let's go. So right now, the order is bang on the money. And you had Hannah Hayes who done the voice and motion capture for Sarah who broke many, many people's hearts playing that game. It was one of the most depressing, distressing, uncomfortable opens of video game I can remember. Come on, baby girl. Come on, baby girl. But she charges thirty-five dollars per camera. Oh She's my God, the cheapest. No, no, no! You were so close. If you bumped into oh. the bottom, you you were bang on the money. But now Hannah oh, Hayes. She hasn't done much, like she was in Insidious, I can't remember what, and she was in a movie called The Grinder, which I haven't heard of.
1: That makes but... sense, I just, I just, I was thinking like more important characters at the start of doing the list, and yeah. then I switched over to like what else have they done in their filmography and all that kind of stuff and credits, so I made that judgement way too soon and should have flipped back to the strategy I <laughs> at the end, oh, so
0: close! So sadly, yeah, she's $35, Ashley's got of $275, yeah. W.L. Brown 118 and then... Yeah, Jeffrey Pierce as well as Derek Phillips at a cheeky one hundred and two dollars. And she's inch. the young, she's the youngest on the list, right? Correct. Correct. How, yeah. How old is she? Is she? How old she is wouldn't she be anything young? more than like early twenties. It's yeah, hard so to like, say. Like she she looks very young um, on her profile. So so thirty five dollars to her is like hundred dollars, really. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's like the the week's worth of pocket money there. So um, yeah. Yeah. So sadly, man, you are oh, you are wow. perfect right no. up until the end. Four from five, we'll take it. Yeah, eighty percent. That's a hell of a pass mark. It is. All right. So uh, before we pour any more salt in the wounds, let's uh, let's move into this.
1: The week that's yet to come, presented by Dash Water.
0: And I am drinking a fantastic lemon-flavored Dash Water right now. No calories, no sugar, no sweetness. Just all that tasty good stuff in a fantastic phallic-shaped can. And I'm drinking a beer. <laughs>
1: Beer is also delicious.
0: It has it has good healthy water in it too. I hope so. (laughs) All right. So if you're looking for things to consume this coming calendar week, do not worry because we've got you all covered. As far as podcasts outside of THG, we've got another episode of More Than Hentai dropping and we're going to be focusing on Darwin's Game in that episode of More Than Hentai. As far as films coming out this week, we've got Saltburn, which Buddy mentioned earlier. We've also got Thanksgiving, which is a new film by Eli Roth. And The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, as far as things making their way to TV and the streamers. Season six of The Crown drops this week. Scott Pilgrim takes off. Mm, Let's go. Anime Let's Get It comes out this week as well as Monarch Legacy of Monsters dropping on Apple TV Plus this week. Obviously, the Game Awards nominations are going to be coming out tomorrow or right about now, depending on when you've got this episode in your ear holes. A notable game's coming out. We've got uh, Hogwarts Legacy making its way to the Nintendo Switch. And it Finally. looks rough <laughs> on the Switch, so good luck with that. Uh, Teardown makes its way to PlayStation 5 and Xbox. Uh, Dredge, the Power Reach DLC, making its way to all them platforms. I cannot wait to jump into that DLC. Then on Friday, we've got Super Mario RPG and Persona 5 Tactica. Also coming out this week. So, buddy, we've got a nice assortment of things to play, things to do, things to watch. Where are you going to be putting your time and potential money this week from that list?
1: Uh, time. I'll be giving Scott Pilgrim takes off, even though I've heard it is kind of rough with the, even though it's got the original voice cast and kind of the delivery having no soul. But I'm kind of interested, uh, morbid curiosity, if it is bad and how that translates to what the film was big Scott Pilgrim fan. And then game-wise, I think I'm going to be uh, playing Teardown, which was nominated for Best Indie at last year's Game Awards. Uh, it was on PC. It's kind of this voxel art uh, destruction uh, simulator. So that looks fantastic. It's finally oh, making yeah. its way to PlayStation. So I'm super keen. I've waited forever and ever and ever to come to the platform that I play on. Uh, so yeah, I'm keen there. I've already seen Saltburn as a part of Biff. But um, yeah, Thanksgiving Eli Roth. I think that could be fun. The, tr- the trailer looks just batshit crazy.
0: And and like he's he's an interesting character to say the least. You know, you you love him, you hate him. He's done some things that are questionable, but he can make an entertaining film. So I'm I'm keen to give this a look and see if it's it's more of Eli Roth of yesteryear as opposed to <laughs> currently. But um, yeah, that intrigues me. I didn't even know that the this sort of Hunger Games prequel was this close out. Like I watched mm. the Marvels yesterday and it was in the trailer and I'm like, what? This is a thing and it's done now and it's coming out in a few days. That piqued my interest because I didn't didn't mind that French. Like I haven't read the books, but enjoyed the films. Thought they were fine. Could be a, a nice little popcorn film to to give a peek to. But um yeah, I'm keen to see Scott Pilgrim takes off. Book ending this episode with Brie Larson based references. Yes please. <laughs> and um yeah Monarch Legacy of Monsters, give me more of the the monster universe consisting of Godzilla and all these frenemies. So uh, let's see what happens there with uh, both generations of Russell playing themselves, <laughs> jumping through time zones. So uh, keen as a bean it. And yeah, Dredge the Power Reach DLC. I'm going to spin that the hell up because I love me some Dredge and I want more of that universe. Absolutely. Oh right, man. Well, that brings us to the end of episode 341. Anything you wanted to mention or shout out before we close this sucker down for another week?
1: Not much, no. Just uh, watch more movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good film. There's there's uh, plenty of movies out there to uh, to let you whistle with. Um, the cinema experience is not dead. Don't believe nah. the naysayers. Don't believe the tweets. Whatever, it's alive and well, my friends. No. Nah.
0: The, the cinema experience is a special experience whether you're doing it with others or going solo. You can have the best time and you can be comfortable. You can have the best snacks. And, yeah, more people need to embrace the cinema experience. So, yeah, as Buddy said, it ain't dead. And people that say it is, kick them in the shins because they're idiots. <laughs> but uh, listeners... Thank you for stopping on by for another episode. You can follow us all as a whole at WeAre8Bit. You can follow myself at Brendan8Bit, and you can follow Buddy at BuddyWatson12. But I think it's time that we say goodbye for now, and we'll see you next week on episode 342. But until then, much love. Stay hungry. Keep going to
1: the cinemas. <laughs> we'll see you around